This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in, in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry. I bring you a podcast to help you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching, but always hoping and ensuring that your character leads the way. Well, today I'm really excited because I get to interview Andrew Arndt. He's the lead pastor of New Life East Church in Colorado Springs, and he is the host of the Essential Church podcast. But I have been fascinated by this guy. I mean, just the way his mind works. He is, he is a brilliant, brilliant thinker and teacher. But he wrote a book called Streams in the Wasteland, Finding Spiritual Renewal with the Desert Fathers and mothers. And I loved this book. I loved it. It was one of those books that just spoke to me when I lived in the desert. And I know for many of you who are going through your own season, own moment of difficulty, this book might be the resource. I loved our conversation with Andrew because he he talks about kind of what was the origin story of this book, why why he needed to write it and, and how the words just actually spoke to him out of what he was wrestling and going through. Friends, you're going to love this interview. So without further ado, here's the one, the only, Andrew Art. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. And I, I got to say, man, um, you know, we, we've known of each other for a number of years and, you know, been in the same rooms from time to time. Um, but I, I read um, your latest and... I have to just tell you, like, it was, it was just one of those, I don't know if it came at like the, one of those meaningful seasons. Um, I feel like it's a book that I'm going to return to again and again. Um, but just the way at which you write and talk about the desert, the desert mothers and fathers, um, the postures, um, man, this thing, I mean, it was a masterpiece. It just it just spoke mm. to me in such a profound way. Um, we just talk a little bit about, hey, why did you write this book? What were you hoping? Um, because I feel like this this episode is going to be different than a lot because I want to talk about that and then how um, what you learned from this book actually shapes the way that you communicate and preach. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bob. I mean, thanks for the kind words, Steve. And it's been fun to get to know you too. I was just... Um, I was just listening back to the podcast we recorded with you last week, and uh, what a great conversation. And I remember being in that conversation with you thinking, we have walked a lot of the same uh, paths of exile. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, man, it's good to be with you. Where did streams come from? Um, In 2009, I moved to Denver, Colorado with my wife and our three little kids to help some friends plant a church. And those uh, friends were people that we had known since we were kids. I mean, decades of friendship. And uh, in my idealistic, you know, 27-year-old, 28-year-old brain, I just thought, this is this. This is it. This is what we're going to, you know, like we're going to 
moved to Denver, Colorado, and we're going to plant a church with our friends. And there's nobody kind of looking over our shoulder, telling us not to do church a certain way. So like all of our best dreams for the church, we're going to do those things. And uh, eventually like we'll start planting churches and we're going to grow our thing and I'm going to write about it and speak about it and all this stuff. And we're going to do this together for like 30 or 40 years. And when I retire, it's only going to be like a semi-retirement. I'll kind of be like the mayor, but I'll still preach on occasion. And at 95 years old, I'll be preaching one Sunday morning and I'll die in the pulpit and they'll just take communion and sing the, uh, the doxology and do the benediction and then bury me in the backyard. And that will be a life. And, and uh, that's, I never thought about anything else. I just thought this is what I would do because I am me, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, I've heard it said, you've heard it said too, that if you want to hear God laugh, you make plans. And, you know, we did that church for seven or eight years and we loved it and it was beautiful. And then we came, I started feeling at the beginning of 2016, I started feeling some turmoil in my soul that I couldn't put my finger on like a restlessness. And I just didn't attribute it to anything to do with the church because I'd always thought I'm going to be there forever, you know? And then we went on a sabbatical in 2016 and halfway through it, I heard the Lord speak so clearly that your time at this church is done. I thought that was insane. So I talked to my wife about it and she was like, no, I've been feeling that way for a while too. And I was like, oh no crap. And we went through a long process of laying the leadership of that church down And then moving on to the next thing, which is New Life Church here in Colorado Springs, which on paper is like a graduation. So we had been pastoring this ragtag, highly missional, uh, not very prosperous, but really fun church in downtown Denver. Now, all of a sudden, you have one of the flagship evangelical megachurches in America calling you and saying, hey, come and be a teaching pastor here. Like if you had told me, Steve, when I was a freshman at Oral Roberts University in 1999, that when I was 35, a church like New Life would ask me to come and just be a preacher on staff, I would have thought, oh, I got it made in the shade, like life has worked. But I didn't feel that way. I felt like my world had blown up, like God had taken the most precious thing outside of my wife and my kids, that God had taken the most precious thing that I had in my life and stripped it away from me. And the whole thing was so disorienting. I have told people that coming to New Life Church felt like, in some ways it felt like being put in a witness protection program. It was like, you used to be this guy over here at this other church. And now like, here's your church, here's your job, here's your credit card, here's your car, here's your house, here's your neighborhood, here's your friends, have a nice life. And and so what do you what do you do then? Or maybe another analogy I've used is like, if you took Frodo out of Lord of the Rings, and you dropped him into Hogwarts, how does he explain who he is, what he does, and what his life is supposed to be? That's how I felt. It was so, it was a desolate experience. It was a stripping away. It was a reduction to the elemental. And I honestly was struggling, I was struggling really hard to come to grips with it. And then a friend of mine said to me, he was like, you need to read the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And I was like, well, I know about them. And he was like, no, you need to read them, read them. And I was like, well, why? And he basically said, well, the thing that you are like running away from, like this experience of disorientation and desolation, they saw it and they found God in it. And you can too. And so I bought a copy of Benedict Award's alphabetical collection of the sayings of the Desert Fathers and Mothers. I started reading it. I read it religiously. I would finish my scripture reading and prayer time. 
And then I would read five or six sayings and just sit with them. And they helped me figure out where I was. And they helped me figure out what I was supposed to do. And pretty soon what happened is that I found myself as it like, as that wisdom of the desert seeped into the water supply of my life, it started popping up in my pastoral, you know, counseling with people and preaching. I found myself, you know, bringing these little sayings and stories and insights and ways of being to bear on the concrete things that people were facing in my congregation. And so when the time came, I'd, I'd written a book before, but when the time came to think about what's the next book I wanted to write, I was like, man, these folks are so relevant and they're not just relevant for people like me who had their world blow up, but they were like, they were seeking out a more fundamental way of being human than the Roman empire had given them. And I think we're living in a culture where our humanity is being stripped from us left and right. And we need wise voices from the past. So streams in the wasteland was kind of my attempt to say like, look, the desert is all around us right now. Like everything is desolation. And there are some there are some things that we can do that will help us regain our humanity in it. So it was a fun project to work on. It's been cool to see how it's been received by people. Um, really warm reception to it. So yeah, well, and it's what's fascinating about it is even as you tell this backstory, you know, oftentimes when people's lives, um, you know, kind of, you know, you enter into that desolation. What it feels like is they're going in their mind backwards in size or scale or, you know, income or, you know, zip code or social status and all this stuff, you know, from the outside, like you said earlier, like going to new life, that would have been for many people their dream, but you were leaving something that was so personal and connected to calling where a lot of times when people enter their understanding of desolation is when, oh, there's been some level of implosion with, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, like when leaving Willow and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this was, this was, and then it's like, I don't think I'm ever speaking in a room that will be 7,200 seats. You know what I mean? It was like a forced <laughs> on, like, uh, it's all downhill from size from here. Yeah. But like yours was the other way. And that, that like, <laughs> yeah. that spoke to me in such beautiful ways. Yeah. How, how, how did you let your heart become open again? That's a, that's a really good question. And it's a good observation too, because I remember sitting with somebody who had been on staff at, he was a worship leader and been on staff at New Life for a while and had since moved on to do other things. And we were connecting about this. He was like, wow. He goes, it's like you're in exile in paradise. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's actually exactly right. And, and I'll tell you, uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was really challenging. And I, I think my personality was probably uniquely set up to have that be a desolating experience. Um, I'm an Enneagram four, so meaning is everything for me. And our little artsy, justice-driven, liturgical, charismatic thing was so niche and it was never going to be thousands of people, but it was always going to be like this work of art that I felt like really connected to. And so coming here was a it was it wasn't a crisis of money or a crisis of platform per se. It was a crisis of meaning. Yeah. 
And that's where it really struck me deeply. It was like, I don't know what my life even means. I don't know. I have all these uh, convictions about the church and my convictions about what the church is supposed to look like and could look like in the 21st century. They landed in this thing that I was doing. Now I'm in a big box evangelical church. And in a lot of ways, the thing that we were doing in Denver was an attempt to, we were trying to do something that, uh, I don't want to say it was like a testimony against the big box evangelical church, but there was a reactive thing. So it was what I'm saying is that it was a great crisis of, of meaning. And I think the whole experience taught me that um, I think we need meaning to live. We need purpose to live. I mean, that's obvious. You know, Viktor Frankl, the great Holocaust survivor who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, that's what he says. He's like, you have, there has to be purpose or you, we literally can't survive. So you need meaning, but I think what happened to me through that process is that meaning got closer to, frankly, it got closer to God and it got closer to the ground and it got closer to my own humanity. And it was less about Andrew's late 20 something, early 30 something ego projections or delusions of grandeur. That's where I had located so much meaning. And it was like the Lord put meaning back in from dust you are into dust you shall return. And I'll tell you the pivot, the pivotal moment of the grieving process and the grieving process took a long time for me. It took all of two and a half, three years, maybe, um, which is that would, that's what an Enneagram four would do. They would grieve forever. But the turning point was when I got to the place, Steve, where I was like, I'm alive. Can you believe we're alive. <laughs> like, there is a God. He has made these things. Breathing is good. Food is good. Relationships are good. I have a job. They pay me to say things in front of people. What a miracle. It was this reduction to... Uh, profound and almost uh, drunken gratitude for the sheer miracle of existence. So <laughs> yeah, it was a weird desolating experience because of how on paper it was an up and to the right, but it hit me where I needed to be hit and it reduced me in all the ways I needed to be reduced. Well, and, and what's so amazing is again, the way that you write the streams of um, the wasteland, streams of the wasteland, like the, here's the truth, man, you, you have this ability to um, make the desert fathers like really accessible, but it's like, it's anyone who picks up this book is going to go. The thing that they have been probably aware of that's been murmuring within mm. and rumbling, but they're like, I don't have time to, to chop about this. I don't have time. I can't give this any sense of, I just got to keep, I got to like power through. I got to push through. I got to, I got Sunday's coming. Yeah. I got to teach. I just got to, you made space in the midst to go on that search. Mm -hmm. And then really, um, and I don't want to like steal your lines for you, but like, I feel like you, you made it accessible for people like me who still had Sunday coming Mm. to engage with the deeper streams mm. um, when it wasn't up and to the right. Yeah. Um, and when it was like the dark night of the soul. 
Um, talk about that because here's my, here's my assumption. And I get all these emails like every, as I'm sure you do with the essential podcast, like, you know, pastors are just like this, these last couple of years, just been artists can be. And I think here's the truth that I'm coming to realize. It's always been hard. Yeah. Um, We just had some glittering (laughs) images and some pieces to, to, it it just, you said you probably had like 5% more good than you did. Um, Right. But that's, that was all there. Yeah. Right. Except the, the, the racism, the struggle, the people leaving people, it just, it angry. Like it's just, it's different, but it was all there. Talk to the pastor who's like, I can't, I can't, I can't engage with the desert fathers because I'm afraid it's going to send me oh, right. fast. Um, and I got to preach. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, uh, the person who's not courageous about looking inward, I don't know what to say about that. to that person other than like, other than like, what are you doing? You know, like this is where in this relationship with God, where God is trying to make us like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So of all of the people on the planet, we should be the most searching about the inward life. But I I will say, I really sympathize with the feeling of like Sunday's coming and I can't afford to have an existential crisis. Um, But, you know, I think part of the beauty of the gospel is that it allows us to transform in place. And that was really a lot of the guiding assumption of Streams in the Wasteland. Like Thomas Merton said long ago, that you don't have to go anywhere to find the, the, the desert anymore because the desert has come to us. And that's what I found about the desert fathers and mothers is that they weren't calling me to go somewhere else and they weren't calling me into something else. They were illuminating what was happening all around me. So I think that most pastors, I think that they have these deep pockets of desolation and they just don't have language for what's going on there. Why do I, why is it that when I'm in this situation, I always feel this thing come up. Or why is it that when I engage my leadership team in this way, something about that just doesn't feel right? Or why is it that when, why is it that I just don't feel comfortable with how the power structure of our church is set up and how we're inhabiting that structure? You start reading the Desert Fathers and Mothers and you go, oh, that's what's going on. And so that place of desolation, that place that felt so empty, that's actually an invitation of the spirit to do things differently, but I just didn't have language for it. I couldn't see it, you know, and that is what the gospel is. You know, the Greek word metanoia for repentance, you know, it just means change your mind. It's a changing of our thinking. So I think, I think especially when we encounter these people who were not beholden to the system and they weren't beholden to the structure and they weren't beholden to riches or platform, I think they have something to say to us about how we can inhabit those structures and systems more faithfully. So to that pastor who's like, I can't afford to have the existential crisis. I don't know. I have bad news for you. You actually are probably having it already. And you're just putting it on the shelf over there. Why don't you welcome that crisis into the conversation and then bring some conversations of partners around you. And I think that they can be a help to you. As you were, as you were going through this, and I think that's just beautiful. And I couldn't agree more as you were going through this, you know, there's a one sense, like, you know, I was actually living in Phoenix as I'm going through this like season and, you know, my, my in-laws live out just in the desert, um, 
they have their own well that they, you know, dug down and, and found it. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, there's, there's some wells that you'll walk by on trails that have just dried up, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's some wells that, you know, as my, my father-in-law has, like they've got water and they got it for a while and thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there, there are seasons you're digging new wells. Mm-hmm. Um, there's seasons where you're like, this well is empty. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't just add water to it. You know what I mean? Like, so, so in that, as you, as you were like in this niche, like downtown Denver, missional, liturgical, charismatic, and you're stepping away. And all of a sudden it's like, you're, you're, you're moving through this profound sense of gratitude, which I think is, gosh, you know, spiritual directors, you know, my spiritual director told me, he's like, man, if you have curiosity, humility, and gratitude, yeah, things are going to be good in your life. Like you're going to yeah. just that, but I guess I'm, I'm curious with, were there, what, what new wells did you have to dig and, and what, what wells were you like, Hey, you know what, in my search for meaning, this was empty. And yeah. it's okay. Like that's, that's, that's okay. Like, yeah. We're, we're yeah. any, any, does that, does that question even make sense? I mean, I think, yeah, it does. I, I can give you a couple off the top of my head. I think a thing that had been a source of life for me was being in charge. <laughs> yes. I liked sitting in the one seat. Yeah. I loved being the guy that carried the weight of the community um publicly with the community i loved being that voice i loved carrying it before the lord in prayer uh i used to always talk about in the old testament you know the linen ephod that the priests would wear had the stones that had the names of the sons of israel engraved over it and that's that's in the text says it's so that they always bear israel over their heart when they minister before the lord i loved all of that and then i loved being the person that chaired the conversation about where we were going and laying all that down, the desert fathers and mothers said that it's actually more blessed to abandon power than it is to have power. And so I just had to learn, like, again, if that having power was a source of life, and I don't think it was evil either. I think that's God had equipped me for that and put that in my lap. And so that was a well I drank from. And now all of a sudden I'm drinking from the well of being the second chair, the third chair, the fourth chair, the person in the room that's supporting the vision of somebody else. That was really, really good for me. I think I also derived a lot of life um, in my faith from having a clear sense of where we were going to go. And I kind of could easily kind of put things in a category. This is good. This is bad. This is where this fits. And I know the direction. And I started falling in love with the gift of unknowing and not needing to know, and also being willing to suspend my judgment about things that were happening around me, like Abba Benjamin, I think it was, said, walk in the royal way, measuring the landmarks without meanness. Like, I love that. Like, just you, how about you just live your life and stop putting everything in your mental framework that you figured out? What if you just received the gift of it? So uh, that was a new well for me, like the drinking from the well of unknowing. And then, and this was a huge ego death for me because of the Enneagram 4 thing. The big thirst, the big quest for the Enneagram 4 is like, am I special? Am I unique? And I remember reading one of the sayings of the Desert Fathers and Mothers where somebody was like, the, the guy was saying to one of his disciples, if you go to a place 
don't do anything that makes you stand out. And that is the kind of counsel that shatters the ego. It is an ego death. And I remember reading that being like, Sap, <laughs> I've spent my entire life trying to prove how special I am in every room I walk into. But how much anxiety does that cause me? But what if I start walking into the room and I don't have anything to prove about how special I am? How free could I be? Like free in the gift of anonymity, free in the gift of obscurity. So it was all things like that. It was like they just, again, it was like all the negative space of my life, places that were unexplored. The Desert Fathers and Mothers were like, God is over there. And would you just like give it a try? You'll be better yeah. for it. So, and I could go on and on. It was, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been a turning inside out of my faith. Yeah. Well, and, and what's so beautiful is how expansive it is. Like it, you, you think yeah. in the decrease, but, but again, just you opening yourself up to that, just not being afraid to, to, yeah. to enter in and trust and how much, um, has just been poured out, um, obviously poured in, but poured out through your life. Um, did you, you were one of the deepest, deepest guys, like, um, and you know, when, when you, and I, I love, uh, you know, your, your compatriot, like, uh, Daniel Grossi, like what you guys, when you guys are teaching, but just your ability from quoting of the text to deep, deep insights to, um, quotes of the desert fathers or just, it, I mean, you are all so well read. Um, talk about, because again, being in large spaces for many, many years, um, oftentimes you're one of the unspoken kind of words is you got to move the room. You got to move mm. the room. And somehow desert fathers seems <laughs> when that comes up, people assume it as like, Oh, it's an energy drain. Right. But like when you, when you all preach and you're inviting people into these deeper streams, mm -hmm. um, and I, I want to go and I, I like you, you it, it's more than just challenge. It's like, and it's more than invitation, but, but even just as I read your book, I was like, mm. this is what I want. Mm. This is what I want so much for my people. Hmm. Um, it, it feels possible. It feels hmm. accessible. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's going to take work, but like, it's 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 more a consent. And hmm. I I just I'm I'm curious. Like that that's a preaching philosophy. It's also a writing philosophy. But like you guys do this, is like a part of the new life sound right. feels like. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Because um, they're, you're not afraid to take people into the deeper streams. Like mm -hmm. you, you know that, yeah, there's people who are walking into Colorado Springs and they don't know anything about God. And yes, you can, you can have them sp spend time like in warm water and the two feet. And, yeah. and yes, there's ways you bring people, but like you're taking them into yeah. the deeper, deeper streams. Talk about yeah. that from preaching. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, Steve. I, I, it is a unique thing that the Lord is doing here at New Life. 
and there is a voice around that common voice around that of like the willingness to take people into the mystery and not pander to the lowest common denominator. I think for me, you know, you know, a little of my background, I'm born and raised non-denominational Pentecostal charismatic. And we were so long on experience and we were so short on the depth of God. And I can remember being a kid and singing every once in a while, we would sing the old hymns, you know, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, or we would sing, holy, holy, holy. And there's something about those words and the way that they unfolded a mystery. It awakened a hunger and a thirst in me. And I found my soul settling in those spaces. And so the quest of the last, you know, I'm 41. So it's really been 25 years, I think, since my faith really awakened in high school has been to try to, um, I just want to drink from the, the great wells. Uh, and so I, you know, I started reading C.S. Lewis in high school and that led me to Aquinas and then the Augustine and the church fathers and all that. And I think what I find is that what nourishes my soul more than anything else is not practical advice for how to be a better Christian or how to do better for God. But what is nourishing my soul is the highest and the best language we have for the mystery of God, you know, and the Lord says to his people in the Old Testament, like the, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed, they belong to you and they belong to your children. And God has revealed so much of himself. And what has changed my life is seeing the beauty of Jesus. What's changed my life is getting lost in the mystery of the Trinity. What's changed my life is coming to the table of the Lord, the Eucharist and taking the bread and the cup and being undone by that and having tears roll down my cheeks. Cause I realized that this is like the primordial mystery and God is giving himself to the world somehow through the church that's caught up in the mystery. And I, so when you asked the question, I thought about that. And I also thought about how Richard Foster said 40 years ago at the beginning of the celebration of discipline, his great book, that superficiality is the curse of our age. And the sad thing is that we have so many churches now that pander to the superficiality because they think that people's attention spans are limited or people don't have an appetite for this or that or the other thing. And I think that's bull. I'm just calling bull on all that. I think that we need meaning. I think that we need God. I think that when our eyes are open to the beauty of the Lord, I think we're nourished by that and strengthened by it. And so you talk about like practical strategies for growing a church, especially a big church like ours. Give them God. Tell them about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Talk to them about the Son who has made flesh for our salvation. Talk to them about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that builds the church, you know? And there will be practical things that you will say inside of that to help them. But mostly, we're trying to give people a mystery. And I think the whole energy of my preaching is I just keep being unmade by the mystery. And then I'm like, i got to tell my friends about what I just saw, you know? <laughs> That's the whole thing for me. I love that you just said that. Uh the secret of my preaching is being unmade by the mystery. And I just got to tell my friends about it. Okay. Yeah. Walk me through that. Um, mm -hmm. what, what does the unmaking and remaking like, what is that? What is that? How does, how does that play out? I am looking for, I mean, as preachers, we all have kind of the same habit, you know, in terms of, if we looked at most preachers, kind of the structure of their week, it's the same stuff. 
you have kind of your early part of stage one, stage two, stage three, maybe. And stage one is like you do the text workup and you're trying to get an idea of what's going on there. Stage two is you bring some more organization to what you did. And then stage three is like you finalize it and you send your notes in. Okay, fine. But what makes the difference in preaching is your own sense of fire. And so when I'm doing the text workup, I'm not just paying attention to like, do I have all of the right information here about this text? I am looking for that moment where, Luke 24, we're not our hearts burning within us when he opened the scriptures to us and talked with us on the road. That moment, that it right there, that's the love dub. That's the heartbeat. That's the fire of preaching. And if I'm not bringing that to the people, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm reading a commentary to them. I'm giving them a, a biblical lecture. But what we want in preaching is the fire of God. What we want is spirit touching spirit. I remember having a mentor of mine many years ago saying, he said, he goes, listen, when you preach, you've got to preach like you just discovered the thing on Thursday. And what he was saying in that is that like, even if you're preaching a text that you've preached on a hundred times, you don't just get to mail it in. Where it's like, oh yeah, I've got a sermon on Psalm 23. Even if you do have a sermon on Psalm 23, you got to find your way into that. And you've got to find what is that place where in me it's connecting with what God is saying here. And if you let that thing be the fire of the message, the message, whatever the details are, is going to go great. Okay, so I, I, this is this is fantastic. I think this is so stellar. Do you, because I think a lot of preachers um, that I listen to, there will be moments where I'm like, oh, the the actual soul of the talk mm-hmm. was point two, <laughs> and right. they and they they didn't build they didn't build the talk around the soul of the talk. Yeah, they, they built around all this other stuff. So whether it was in their prep time or their their own like lack of awareness to actually go, that's the thing. Yeah, that's, that. How does that, how does that work for you? Is again, you're like resident theologian. I mean, like you're, you're, there's like a, a wealth of just the way that God has beautifully wired your brain and heart and soul. But like, are you reading something and like going for a walk and you feel it? Like, what, are there, are there certain kind of clues that the spirit makes your like heart leap that you're like, oh, this is it. I got to, I got to build it around this. It's I've Daniel Grothy and I talk about this a lot. It's the hum. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. It's the hum. And I just am trying to pay attention to that. I'm trying to pay attention to when I read something in Calvin and Calvin says, there is not an ounce of vigor in us save for what the Holy Spirit instills. And I go, that has a hum on it. Those words are luminous. And so I don't know where that's coming up in a sermon, but I'm keeping that. Or if I'm having lunch with somebody and they tell me a story and the story has a hum on it, I go, I don't know what that is, but I'm paying attention to that. I'm keeping that. Or if I have a moment when I'm reading the scriptures and there's kind of a boom, a burst of a flash of illumination, I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm hanging on to it. So the trick then is putting that is getting that into your final sermon outline. And I think sometimes the process is just, you know, this, the process is just really kind of just the same. But what you're looking for in the prep process is that pop goes the weasel moment. And so even when I have the outline together, sometimes I'm like, I think this is okay. 
But I still am laboring in prayer over like the Lord, what is the thing there where it's really going to break out? And I I don't really feel like I'm ready to preach until I kind of know where that breakout place is. I think what you grow in, to answer your question, one of the things that you grow in as you preach more is knowing how when you've got that kind of sort of moment, uh, how not to burn that in the first eight minutes. (laughs) It just takes some measure of artistry and craft on the Craft and Character podcast to set things up so that what was a great payoff for you and your study is also a great payoff for your people. So just don't burn it in the first eight minutes. Save it for minute 26. It'll be really satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Andrew, seriously, man, um, to help people know where they can find you. um, And then you've written more than just uh, Streams in the Wasteland. Talk about that. Yeah, All Flame was the first one that I wrote, which also is an allusion to Saying of the Desert Fathers. And it's really, that that one is actually very much about personal crisis and how we encounter God in it. So I've called it like a Trinitarian theology of crisis and of pain. And so that's a good one for people that are kind of in the middle of it right now. And then Streams, of course, is kind of my spiritual vision of the Desert Fathers and Mothers. But I write pretty frequently for like Missio Alliance and the other journal sometimes, Mirror Orthodoxy, they can find me at the Andrew Arndt, the Andrew Arndt on Twitter and Instagram and posting about books and stuff we're working on at church and all of that. And, uh, you know, his sermons are up at New Life Fellowship. Yeah. Uh, dot, dot org. And so it's newlifechurch.org. Newlifechurch.com, maybe. Dot they can com. find my sermons at, uh, they can go to YouTube, New Life East is the congregation I pastor. They'll find them there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, man, thank you. Um, we're going to do a giveaway with your book because um, I just, yeah, I want as many people to to get this and I'm just super fired up about what you bring. Um, man, you're, you're a gift and from afar, you're just someone I've just really, um, yeah, I just, I just, I appreciate how thoughtful, um, how deep um, there's a richness to the way God is, um, gifted you, but how you continue to break yourself open and pour yourself out um, on behalf of um, the Father, the Son, the Spirit for something that I can see has unmade you and remade you again. And it is, it's beautiful to watch you on your, like kind of actually do your craft, but it's, it's really like beautiful when um, people I know and love talk about who you are um, and just realize like, oh man, that, that just is a, it's just a special human and uh, Colorado Springs is really lucky. So man, thanks for the time. Um, thanks for your wisdom and uh, many, many blessings to you, my friend. Right back at you. Thanks so much, Steve. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the crafting character podcast. I hope this conversation spoke to you. Uh, go check out the book streams in the wasteland. I'm telling you, it's a fantastic read. Uh, you just will see just, listening to Andrew, just how theologically rich this guy is. I mean, just the things that he's able to quote just is unbelievable. And what an amazing, amazing disciple and what an amazing human. So uh, check out the book, check out New Life East. And um, hey, Mother's Day, Father's Day, they're right around the corner. Go to Preaching Today, check it out, preachingtoday.com. And and look at some articles because I'm telling you, 
there's ways in which we can honor moms and dads well, and there's ways in which we can't and we struggle. And there's so many moms and dads who are showing up to church and um, on a Sunday, and it's a way that on, on those specific days to highlight and honor them. And if you need some help, check out Preaching Today. They do a great job of writing articles and giving sermon illustrations that can really speak to the hearts of the fathers and mothers. Well, without further ado, my friends, I pray that any of you who are walking through that wasteland would find the streams, the holy, deep, rich streams that is and leads to new life. Much love. We'll see you again soon. Grace and peace. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com/ct.